Thank you, Father. For your sacrifice for us. Sending Jesus, Jesus willing to come. Die on that old rugged cross. May we cherish it, may we cling to it for the one who died upon it and rose again. Say Hosanna, let our praise rise to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that might bring some tears to your eyes. Remembering the song from singing it many years ago, I'm sure as you did in your churches growing up days. First of all, I want to thank Johnny Dasher for preaching for me last Sunday, or should I say preaching my sermon last Sunday. <laughs> um, it is simply amazing when a brother will text you at 5 o'clock on Saturday evening. He's willing to preach for you the next day and even use your jokes. <laughs> I don't know, the, the verse in John 15, no greater love as anyone that he would lay down his life for a friend. Maybe we should say no greater love as anybody that he would preach for you within 12 hours of getting that opportunity. So um, appreciate Johnny so much for that, his kindness to that. Um, my father-in-law, Paul, is doing better. He did have a heart episode on that Friday, uh, the Friday before last Sunday. And uh, there was kind of lots of, we're not sure how this is going to go, forward thoughts on that Saturday. And so Johnny did help out. So I'm really, really appreciative to all of you for, for that. But you know what excites me? He's back. He's back. <laughs> all of you who serve. Majestic. All of you who serve at Majestic. And there's a number of new people that are joining with us. Even you saw today Mark uh, playing the guitar with us today. and Others that are coming alongside. This has been a really fun, fruit-filled time of people saying, let's, let's get on the team, let's join the team. And so thank you so much for that. Thank you for all of you who have served, but all of you who are joining the team. We so much appreciated. It excites me so much to see you using your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your spiritual gifts, your heart, your passion, your experience, your shape, as we call it, to be able to serve the Lord. We need you, and you bless us in that. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. That ought to bring a smile to your face right now. Go ahead, give it, let it go. Okay, it's all right, okay? It's still Easter or Christmas or something like that. All right, so it's Palm Sunday, what Jesus did. So I tried to find some pictures that would take us through the Holy Week this week, quickly, just to get before we get into the sermon. On Sunday, Jesus sends his two disciples to get a colt, a donkey, and, and Jesus rides that donkey into Jerusalem. Beautiful, beautiful. You've read your daily bread this morning. Beautiful way they put it all together. He didn't come in as a victorious king. He came in as a humble servant. 
not on the white stallion, not on the white horse, but he comes in on a donkey to fulfill Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. That's going to happen, Zechariah said, some 500 years before that, and Jesus fulfills that as he comes into town with everybody gathered there, the Passover time, they're there for the feast, and it comes in just in a beautiful, beautiful way as the humble servant because he's going to give his life. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, Mark, many, Mark 10, 45. On Monday, he withers the fig tree. He cleanses the temple. We, we know that story well. And as he says to them, yes, the, my house is a house of prayer, not a, not a den of robbers. You're making a mockery of it. That happens on Monday. On Tuesday, he passes that fig tree and he talks about faith. And he judges the religious leaders. He has a message for those religious leaders at the temple on Tuesday. He goes out to the Mount of Olives and he gives what we call the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, Matthew chapter 25, as he talks about the future and what's going to happen someday. Wednesday, I didn't have a slide for that because it's a silent day. We don't know what happened on Wednesday. We speculate that he spent that day in Bethany, probably staying with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Bethany, about five miles away from Jerusalem, two to five miles away. And there in and, but we don't have any information about Wednesday. But probably preparing for the Passover, the, what we call the Lord's Supper now, of course, and also his crucifixion. Monday, Thursday takes place, obviously, on, on Thursday. The Passover, the Last Supper with the disciples. And Monday, as I was looking it up today, still never have figured out exactly what that word means. It's a, it's a word, it's a derivative from, from an old English word or a Latin word. And it just communicates love, because that's where he gave that great commandment in John chapter 13. And this is my commandment to you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. This is a new commandment I give to you. And it gives that sense, Monday gives that sense of this is the command that he gave to them. This is what I want you to do. And we know then as he finishes up that, they sang a hymn. I think they sang the old rugged cross, I think. Because <laughs> he's headed there, Right? And we know what happens in the Garden of Gethsemane. Judas has set up his, his own little negotiations probably on Tuesday is when Judas negotiated with the Sanhedrin and uh, the religious leaders to pass Jesus into their hands to betray him. We know that in the Garden of Gethsemane it starts the, the trial and leading to his crucifixion on Good Friday. His trial in the morning time, his on the cross, his death, and then his burial. On Saturday, we call it Silent Saturday because we don't know what happened on that day. We know, I'm sure, that there was great agony from the disciples and from those who are part of Jesus' company because the Savior is dead. He's gone. Our friend is gone. But, but, it's a Friday. And Sundays are coming. It's a Friday. Sundays are coming. He's risen. He's risen indeed. Yes. So we celebrate that. And as you go through this week, take take, take a little bit there. Take take that those thoughts and look up those passages and put them into your mind and think more about what Jesus has done for us as we've celebrated Lent or 40 Days of Focus, whatever you'd like to call it, to be able to read the Word as you've been doing. Many of you taken on that challenge, 40 Days to Abide in the Word. Any, anybody still up on their 40 days? Yeah? 
bunch of you are. Good job, man. Keep reading the Word. Put yourself in the Word. And this is a great place to go to those last three, four chapters of the Gospels and to be able to read the story of what happens in the Holy Week, the Passion Week. So Johnny started my uh, three-Sunday sermon series about the cross of Christ. And last Sunday's big idea was look to the cross. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, John 3, 14 and 15, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. And that was a picture, that was a foreshadowing of what Jesus was going to do for us. The snake didn't save them. The pole didn't save them. Their faith saved them in what God had provided for them, just as Jesus on the cross. The cross doesn't save us. We know that. It's Jesus on the cross that saves us, the belief in Him. But that's the picture He had for us to be able to grow forward. Today is, if you just figured out the song, if you didn't read the front of the bulletin or you didn't read the Thursday email, cling to the cross. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross, and I'll cling to the cross, right? I'll cling to the old rugged cross. Next week, it's going to be nail it to the cross from Colossians chapter 2. Let me tell you a little bit how this sermon idea came to me, this sermon series idea. Uh, a few weeks ago, I was reading faithgateway.org. They send out something every day, a, an article from a book that somebody's written and put together. And uh, the, it used the old rugged cross as a theme for that article that was there. That got me thinking about the cross and what it means and how valuable and how important it is. Then... Two Thursdays ago, in the Grief Share class that Alicia teaches, I help out with in our Grief Share class, wonderful class of helping those to work through their grief, to journey through grief, from mourning to joy, as they put it. Uh, Larry Crabb, Dr. Larry Crabb made this statement. Uh, Dr. Larry Crabb was the head of the counseling department up at uh, Colorado Christian University for years, written some great books, one of them called Shattered Dreams, an excellent, excellent book, great, great uh, Theologian, great counselor, help. He made this statement. He made this statement. He says, Interpret everything in light of the cross. Interpret everything in light of the cross. What Jesus did for us on the cross and what it means for us. And then the, I'm still having a hard time getting my thoughts going. Been thinking about it for the last couple of weeks. And on Tuesday, I was just really having a hard time kind of getting it, getting it going. And so I googled the words cling to the cross to see what would come up. A number of articles came up, but one came up, and, and it was a sermon uh, by a man named James Smith. I don't know James Smith. Of course, he wrote it in 1857, so uh, you probably don't know him either. <laughs> but it was just that it was, a, it was a really good sermon. And so I've taken the main points from there. I've, I've reworked them. I've reworked everything underneath them, but I'm borrowing some things from Pastor James Smith in a sermon in 1857 this morning. Just to be honest with you about where my thoughts came from this morning. It was a very thought-provoking sermon, and I hope that what I've added to it would also do the same for you this morning and me. First thought is this. The cross is a place of punishment that brought peace. The cross is a place of punishment that brought peace. 
As we, as we read about Jesus in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as we read about him, we see that he was punished by man. He was punished by the people around him for claiming to be, what, the Son of God, for claiming to be the Messiah, for claiming to be the Reconciler, for claiming to be the Redeemer, for claiming to be the Servant, to be the one who came from heaven and was fulfilling the prophecies, to be the Anointed One, to be the Lamb of God, to be the Bread of Life, to be the Gate, to be the Door, to be the Shepherd, the Good Shepherd. All those things that He claimed and was, He was punished by man for claiming those things. He was, he was punished by man because he claimed to be the bridge between sinful man and holy father. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you come to the father through me. No other way. You come to him through me. And before the cross, they, they doubted and they, they mocked him. And they wanted to stone him at one point. They plotted to kill him. And finally, when it was FST, the Father's saving time, right? When the Father said, it's time. He's been holding off all the time. It's not my time. It's not my time. It's not my time. And finally, he knows, it is time. FST, Father's saving time. They cried, what? Crucify him. Crucify him. Yeah, yeah, but but way better than that. <laughs> Let's get rid of him. They continue to doubt him. And they continue to mock him even on the cross. Luke chapter 23. The rulers, the religious leaders, they scoffed at him. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Big boy, that's kind of what they're saying to him. You're claiming to be these things, do something about it. The people, the criminals were there. And even they, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and, and save us. <laughs> Get us down too. While you're pulling yourself off, get us down too. And Jesus not only suffered the punishment of man, he suffered the punishment of Christ, the punishment of God the Father on the cross for you and for me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm suffering the punishment that shouldn't be mine. And you have forsaken me. I feel your punishment upon me. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You ever been punished for something you didn't do? <laughs> I bet you can probably think maybe of a time that, that that's happened, right? And I would imagine that probably, like I probably would have done, if, if I had been punished 
and threatened with punishment for something I didn't do, I would have stood up for myself. I would have defended myself. I would have pleaded my cause. I would have said, I didn't do it. Oh, now maybe you've never done that, but I have. I didn't do it. My sister did it. My brother did it. Well, they probably didn't maybe, right? But if he didn't do wrong, and you were going to get punished for it, it would be in our nature to say, I didn't do it. Somebody else did it. I'm telling you the truth. But what did Jesus do on the cross with faced with injustice and punishment for what he didn't do? He did exactly what Isaiah 53 said he would do. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that is before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He didn't cry out, Unfair! Unfair! I didn't sin! It's you! Y'all, you did it! Instead, what did he do? He interceded for the sinners and he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Christ suffered the punishment for our sin that we deserved. And that punishment made possible peace with God if we would only believe in his sacrifice on our behalf and we would accept him as the prince of peace. Colossians 1 says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The cross is a place of punishment that brought spiritual peace to those who would believe that he is the prince of Secondly, the, the cross is a, a place to find courage. When we see Christ headed to the cross in the Holy Week, and even on the cross we see a courageous Savior. He had the courage to confront. He confronted the religious leaders who doubted him. He said, you whitewashed tombs. You're looking good on the outside, but inside you're a mess. says to them and that, you've missed who I am. He confronted Pilate who couldn't decide about him. You want to know the truth, he said? You're looking at him. You're looking at him. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm it. But Pilate, you, you're missing me. He confronted the crowd that gathered at the cross to deride him. With the silence, he said, you've missed who I am. But not only did he have the courage to confront, he had the courage to comfort. You'll remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, as they're coming to take him away, and you remember Peter draws his sword, and he aims for the head of Malchus, the servant of the high priest. And his aim is not real good. He just gets his ear. 
what does Jesus do in the midst of that? He takes that ear and he puts it back on that gentleman's head. In the midst, in the midst of all that's going on against him, he takes the time to courageously comfort this on the cross. In the midst of being killed and crucified, he looks down and he sees his mom. And he says, Behold your son, to John. And to John, Behold your mother. And the word tells us that John took Mary to be with him in his home. Can you imagine how courageous that is? In the midst of being crucified, dying, he still extends comfort to those around him. The cross is a place of courage. Pastor Smith says, let us therefore cling to the cross. Let us cling to the cross. And so shall we have the courage to endure hardship as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. You heard any sermons on that passage lately? Yeah, about two weeks ago, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Pastor Simon. Endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What? Keep your focus on Him. Cling to the cross. As a soldier would cling to that which he's called to do, to his commander, to honor him and not get involved in civilian affairs, as it says, but to cling to the cross and to Christ, to be courageous like Jesus was courageous. Third, the cross is a place to gain confidence. Pastor Smith says he uses in the cross, on the cross, and from the cross. Listen how he masterfully put this together. In the cross, we see that the Lord is a just God and a merciful Savior. In the cross, we see that God is a just God and a a merciful Savior. You probably know this verse. It pictures that, justice and mercy. For the wages of sin is death. That's justice. That's what we deserve for our sin. Amen? That's what we deserve for our sin. But, Paul goes on, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's mercy. That verse pictures that in the cross we see just God, but we see a merciful Savior. Because this is what we deserve for our sin, but this is what we can not get for our sin. That gift of God, that free gift of God, offered to us, each person, can be yours if you'll just accept the gift. It's free. It's available. 
that's one of the things we see in the cross. But he goes on and he says, on the cross we read written, I love this, in large capital letters, God is love. On the cross, we see written in large capital letters, God is love. You know this one too, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. His love. Here's where we are here in the cesspool of sin, in the miry clay, and yet he died for us, not meaning that we have to change now to be able to get to him. He says, no, I'll do the changing if you'll just come to me. (laughs) You'll just come to me. I read a Facebook post by my friend, Pastor Shane Cannon of Mesa Christian Fellowship, out on the Mesa. A quote by Selwyn Hughes. Listen to this. This is so good. God's love is uninfluenced. Bet you probably never used that word before. God's love is uninfluenced. By this I mean that nothing in us can give rise to it and nothing in us can extinguish it. The love which we humans have for one another is drawn out of us by something in the object of our love. But God's love is not like that. His love is free, spontaneous, and uncaused. If you look for a reason, you won't find one. Get this. He loves because he loves. (laughs) He loves because he loves. He just loves. Wow, I read that this week. It's like, thank you, Lord. That fits really good right there. But that is so significant. He loves just because he loves. In the cross, on the cross, from the cross, we hear the Father say, My holy wrath is satisfied. From the cross. We hear those words broadcast loudly. My holy wrath is satisfied. Probably know this verse too. For all have sinned and what? Come short, fall short of the glory of God. Man, that's such a great verse. But did you know there's verses following that? Here's, here's what follows. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. Propitiation, the satisfaction of God's wrath. When Jesus died, He satisfied the wrath of the Father towards sin, if one will just believe that he has done that. That's all we have to do. God did all the work. We just have to believe that's what he did for us. Yeah, next time you read Romans 3.23, go ahead and read 24 and 25 too. We're justified just as if we'd never sinned. It's a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood on the cross. Those words aren't in there, but that's what he's talking about on the cross to be received by faith. Now listen, 
This happens. There are times when Satan challenges us to let go of the cross. To not cling to the cross. And when that happens, when Satan moves into your life and says, let it go, let it go. No, 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 let it go. Here's what we need to do. We need to remember who Jesus says Satan is. God, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8, he's the father of lies. In Revelation, great study we're having on Wednesday nights with the man, come and join us. Get out involved in the study. Man, great study. We read in, in verse uh, chapter 9 this last week, Satan is called Abaddon, destruction. He's called Apollyon, destroyer. In Revelation chapter 12, he's called the deceiver. Other than that, he's a really good guy. And guess what? We're not making that up. That's Jesus telling us these things. Not us making those up. That's Jesus telling us, this is who Satan is. When he says, Satan says, you let go of the cross, quit clinging to the cross, go back and see what Jesus says about him. You can't be believed. And what is his mission? Steal, kill, and destroy. Yep, he's a winner. We should follow him. I'm kidding there. Okay, sarcasm. That's who he is. Described by Jesus. And Satan wants you at times to let go of the cross of Christ. Not to cling to it. To count it as a farce, a mirage, a deception from the heavenlies. To view it only as it appears. The death of a nice man named Jesus, but the greatest imposter of all time. Therefore, don't cherish the old drug across, he says, but cast it aside as a fraud. The cross has no power. It has no provision, no purpose. Deconstruct your faith. That's happening all over. Many strong believers deconstructing their faith. I don't believe that it is true anymore. I don't believe it has the power. I don't believe it has purpose. I don't believe it has provision. Satan would want you to do that. So what do we do when we're tempted by Satan to let go of Christ in the cross? We reach higher. We grab harder. We hang on tighter. We look up more. We take more time to read the true story. We hang around those whose confidence is in the, Christ of cross, the cross of Christ because the blood shed by Christ on the cross will never lose its power. Some of you know that song. The blood shed by Christ on the cross will never lose its power. Romans 8 says this, For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. The law couldn't accomplish that, but Jesus could. Jesus could because of who He is. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. So let's proclaim the victory. Let's proclaim the victory that came through the cross. Revelation 12 tells us this, and they have conquered him, Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. When someone, Satan comes to you and he says, abandon the cross, let go of the cross, you just, through the power of the Word of God and the testimony of God's due, you just tell them, victories in Jesus! Because it is. 
when difficulties challenge you to abandon the cross. We all face the issues and realities of life that can cause us to question our relationship with Christ and further his work on the cross. When a life-altering illness invades your body, when death takes a loved one, when a child chooses to be a prodigal, when a friend stabs us in the back, etc., 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 we might... In those situations, we might find ourselves tempted to abandon the cross of Christ. And if this is the way God chooses to treat me, then I'm out of here. I bet you maybe you've thought about that maybe once or twice in your life. I think we probably all have. The disciples were faced with the abandoned Christ opportunity before the Christ. Do you remember this? Jesus speaks about who he is as the bread of life. And as he speaks those words to him, trying to understand who he is, John chapter 6 gives us these, this testimony. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. They abandoned him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go as well? Simon Peter answers the Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of Israel. You guys going to ride out of here? You going to take off? Just like these people are? When things get hard, when difficulties come, when, when you don't understand the teaching, you're going to run away? And Peter says, ain't no way. We're sticking with you, Savior. We're sticking with you. We're going to follow you. We're not going to abandon you. You too. When things get hard, don't walk away. Cling to the cross. <laughs> Cling to the cross. Yeah, that scared me too. Here's what that pastor says. So this one. If you cannot see the cross distinctly, then grasp it more tightly. If you can't see the cross more distinctly, then grasp it more tightly. The cross of Jesus was hidden by darkness once, but it only lasted three hours. And the darkness that now broods over your soul will not last long. The three hours culminated with this. It is finished. I've done the work. And don't you think the disciples had this same dark feeling for the three days Jesus was in the grave? When Jesus, their friend, the Son of God, lay dead in the dark and sealed shut tomb. But again, the darkness only lasted for how long? The prophesied three days. Three days. <laughs> it only lasted that long because He is risen. He is Risen indeed. When you're tempted to abandon the cross and the work of Christ, when the difficulties come, you just remember the three hours and you remember the three days for they will not take over your soul if you'll cling to the cross of Jesus Christ. Lastly, he 
Jesus all through life and even in death cling to the cross. Maybe you heard Johnny Dasher say last Sunday that we need to be cross-eyed. <laughs> Wasn't that a great, great way he would put it? We need to be cross-eyed. We need to keep our focus on the cross of Christ. And then, maybe we need to build my life. Seems like we sang a song this morning about that. <laughs> I will not be shaken. I have a firm foundation. Build my life on Christ and His cross and resurrection work. Paul put it this way, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world says in Galatians earlier, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me on the cross. The same night I heard Larry Crabb, Dr. Larry Crabb say, to look at everything, interpret everything in light of the cross. Paul David Tripp, another counselor, pastor in the Grief Share series, said to us, he said these words, you can always trust the God who died for you. You can always trust the God who died for you. The last thing. Be cross-eyed. Build your life on Jesus and his work for you and trust him. Let me close with Pastor Smith's words. Clinging to the cross. Clinging to the cross supposes that I have let everything else, I have let go of everything else. And that I throw my arms around it and venture the whole weight of my eternal interests upon it. Clinging to the cross intimates that I turn my back on everything else and facing it, I clasp it with a firm grasp. You can't cling to the cross when your hand's in the world. You're a double-minded man or woman. Unstable in all your ways, as James says. You can't cling to the cross when these things are more important and they're priorities. And Jesus is just one of five priorities in your life. It doesn't work that way. He has to be above everything. And He is worth being above everything. Here's what I'd like you to do. Would you take your hands right now? Put down whatever's in your hands, if you would, please. And would you make a cross right in front of you? Here's what I want you to do. Grab it. Grab the cross. And this week, use this as a symbol to cling to the cross. Like you've never clung Father, it's easy to let go. 
let the stuff of life take our hands away from what you've done for us on the cross. Help us to hang on to you, to cling to you, your cross work upon us. Thank you for being so patient with us.